Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 2nd, 2022. It is currently 10.38 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, with a a special late-night episode of the Theology Central podcast. Uh, I'm doing this not so much for your benefit, but for my benefit. I've had a fun evening of entertainment. Yes, I've been doing things that were fun, exciting. I've had a great time, but it's Saturday night. It's Saturday night, and we know what that means, right? That means tomorrow morning is the Lord's Day. Tomorrow tomorrow morning is church. So I don't like to end my night with my focus on all of those things that may be perfectly okay to partake in, perfectly okay to participate in, perfectly okay to be entertained by. That may be perfectly fine, but if I end the day with my focus on something other than the things of God, well, that's... I think it's always better to try to end your day with your focus on the things of God as much as possible. Do I always do that? Absolutely not. Do I always accomplish that? Absolutely not. One of the things I try to do, I wish I wish I was more disciplined uh, to do it, but one of the things I try to do is to ensure that I have some kind of a morning devotional time. That may not be an extensive amount of study, but just something that will get the scriptures in my mind, something will get the word of God in my mind. And then, so there's morning, then there's afternoon, then there's early evening, and then there's late night. Four times a day, I try to do something. Again, it may only be, it may only be a few minutes, but something. Now, sometimes one of those, one of those four times may be listening to an actual sermon or doing an actual Bible study. It may be something far more significant. The other times maybe just very, just just getting a little bit of spiritual food, a little bit of spiritual nourishment. I, I think you are aware that you probably eat physical food, right? At least three times a day, correct? And you know that if you don't eat three times a day, most likely, even if you tried to deny it, most likely the people around you will know, what <laughs> something's not right. You're going to either be gripey, irritable, you're just going to have an attitude because you didn't get your physical food that you need for the day. I believe spiritually when we are not being fed spiritually on a regular and consistent basis, and it's not about a legalistic thing. It's not about like, if you don't do this, you're not saved. If you don't do this, it's not about legalism. It's not about somehow trying to prove that you're saved. It's about just the, you need spiritual food, just as you need physical food you need spiritual food. That's why the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We need spiritual food. So for me, I've neglected any spiritual food this evening. Now I've done things today, great, wonderful, but it's getting to the end of the day. It's getting it's getting now, t- turning my attention to the end of July the 2nd and getting ready to sell, say hello to July the 3rd and getting ready to say hello to the Lord's Day. And if we approach the Lord's Day not spiritually prepared, then I think we typically, we we cheat ourselves, right? We cheat ourselves. So I'm, I'm going to spend a little time doing that. And I'm, well, I'm inviting you to, to listen in. 
And I, I don't know if you'll get anything from it, but if you you happen to be up at 10.42 p.m. Central Time, I don't know what time it may be where you are. If you happen to be awake and you're listening, great. Now, I do apologize. <laughs> my voice, well, my voice may be a little weak tonight, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to, uh, we're, we're going to work on this together. All right. And here's what I decided to do for this evening. Now, you know, we have been working on a series on the very famous book called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, a book written over 500 years ago and a book that's had a lot of influence on many different theological streams, right? People from many different theological streams, in fact, theological streams that don't even agree with one another in any way, shape, or form, still this book has had a major impact on all of them. Um, I was introduced uh, to a book and a place where you would have never thought they would introduce a book, well, by an author who holds to the theology that he does. Thomas Akempis was a Catholic monk. Why in the world was I being introduced to this book in an independent fundamental Baptist church? It was weird, but the book has had lots of influence. Now, yes, does the book have clear Catholic theology in it at times? Absolutely. Why some people miss it, I don't know but it's there. So we don't agree with everything in this book, by no means. But I think the book, well, the reason I we started the series, hey, someone just said, hello, pastor, and said they're excited to be at church tomorrow. That's always good. That's, al- that's always good to hear that someone's excited to be at church, even on, even on the night before. So that's great. Hopefully it will be a good day at church and we'll have a good study. But one of the reasons we chose this book is I was very aware, or at least I was very worried, let me say it that way, that as we, as the pandemic was beginning to spread, I felt that this was going to be a a great opportunity was presented to the church. We could use everything that was going to happen in the pandemic to, to focus on ourselves spiritually, focus on ministering to people, and really that we could come out of the pandemic better off spiritually than we went into it. But my fear was, so that was my hope, I should say. My fear or concern is that wasn't going to happen. What was going to happen is we were going to become very distracted, and it was all going to be about conspiracy theories and fighting and arguing and focusing on our rights and and what we want, and we were just going to lose sight of everything spiritually. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll start a series on the imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Anyone can get the book online for free, and I'll challenge everyone to start reading the book, because even if we disagree with some of its theology, it would at least get us to focus on something spiritual during this time, instead of getting distracted by all of the craziness going on in the world. That was my goal. That was my attempt. Wasn't super successful. Some people really got on it got into the series some people purchased the book some people started reading the book some people started meditating on the book so for some people i i think it was beneficial but i'm saying it wasn't successful as far as numbers were concerned i think most people are like whatever thomas akempis imitation of christ i don't care written over 500 years ago i got better things to do i've got i got q anon conspiracy theories to keep up with whatever the case may be so that was the goal But here we are, 2022, and we're still a thousand miles away from finishing the book. 
which it's my own fault because I could have probably have done the study a little different, but I've just basically been walking through the book word by word, and I'm just going to keep doing what I can. And another major fault of mine is obviously every day I turn around, there's a million new things to talk about. So I end up setting aside that series and working on other things or starting a new series. And then I fall further and further behind. The last time we talked about this book or did any study was June the 14th, 2022. June the 14th, 2022. And here we are Saturday, July the 2nd. So, I mean, you, you can't you can't have that kind of delay between episodes. You really cannot do that because it, your, your series loses momentum. People decide they just forget about it and they move on. And that's my fault. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, someone said there's been some really awesome things I've gotten from this book. It's been beneficial for me. I, I, I think anyone who's participated, it's been beneficial. At least I, I, that's what I'm going to say. I don't see how you can not spend time with this book and not find something beneficial in it. So it's been beneficial for me as well, but it would probably be more beneficial if I would try to get some some, some consistency and our approach. So, but I can't do anything about what I've done. <laughs> That's, isn't that the way life works? You can't change anything you've done in the past. You can't, you can't, you can't change it. And I can't change this, but I've done what I have. All of the episodes are there online. So maybe someone one day will stumble upon it and go, that was a really good idea and, and great. And all we'll do is we'll just keep taking one step at a time, one step at a time, and maybe, maybe on my deathbed, I'll be on my deathbed and someone will bring a microphone to the hospital and I'll be like, okay, the last chapter of the imitation of Christ. And people are like, come on, you got to finish it. You've got three words to be. And then that'll be the, okay, that's, that went really dark, really fast. Okay. But, it, but maybe, maybe I will get the last word and then that will be the end. One way or the other, I'm going to try to finish. That took a really dark turn, didn't it? Okay. That took, that took a dark turn. That wasn't my intention, but that's kind of how I feel like I'm never going to finish this. Okay. I'll get that close and it'll be the end. And I'll be like, no, I, I guess after I die, I won't really care that I didn't finish it, but okay. All right. <laughs> Someone said it better not take that long. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I, I, this is getting ready to take another dark turn. I, I, my last day on earth could be today. It could be tomorrow. So we, we never really know. Isn't that the, that's the uncertainty of life? Isn't that, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the uncertainty of life. But we, we could, yeah, see, it gets late and I can get, everything takes a dark turn. But let's not do that. Let's do this. Let's get back to the imitation of Christ. Thomas Akempis, 500 years ago. There are, I think we may have more people listening live now than we've had all day, okay? Maybe I need to start doing, maybe I just need to do a midnight to 6 a.m. theology program. Midnight to 6 a.m., coast to coast a.m. from midnight to what, three or four in the morning. They talk about conspiracy theories and UFOs and, and Luciferians and, and the Illuminati and whatever coast to coast a.m. talks about. Maybe I need to start a midnight to 6 a.m theology discussion program. Okay. That, because that's when everybody listens to us now. All right, here we go. I'm getting everything pulled up. All right. We got, we got people listening. All right. We got someone in Texas. We got someone in Indiana. All right. So that's good. All right, here we go. We're in book two, 
chapter 11. Sorry, it took 12 minutes there for the intro. But I, I was I was trying to take a little bit of time for my intro because of making sure that I, I didn't destroy my voice tonight. All right, here we, I'm going to take a drink of this water that's like probably 30 years old, and I'm probably getting ready to, well, I'm, but I have to take a drink. All right, yes, because sometimes I forget to throw away the bottles of water that are here on this table, so, but I've got to use it. Oh, and in Tennessee, we got everyone listening. I'm telling you, we're just going to start a late night theology program. That's what we're going to do. All right, here we go. But we are in chapter 11, book two, and the the title of this chapter is Lovers of the Cross of Jesus. Lovers of the Cross of Jesus. And I'm just going to start back from the beginning and just move through this. And the goal is to finish this chapter tonight, right? So um, this is not, I'm going to try to stop myself from focusing on one thing and going kind of deeper, but maybe just kind of kind of go through the surface. If someone's like, whoa, that paragraph, you've got to do something more with that, then I'll find a new time and we'll, 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 I will, we'll do another part to this. If not, we'll move on to the next chapter. All right, here we go. Book two, chapter 11, Imitation of Christ, Thomas Kempis, 500 years plus. Are we ready? Here we go. It begins this way. Jesus has now many lovers of his heavenly kingdom, but few bearers of his cross. It's easy to love heaven. It's easy to love the idea of the heavenly kingdom. It's easy to love that Jesus Christ will come back and set up a millennial kingdom and I will rule and reign with him. It's easy to, to, to love the fact that one day there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more sin. All of that is wonderful and it's right to love it. Let me make it very clear. It's right to love it. There's lots of people who may love those things, but it's something very different. To remember that as a Christian, if we're gonna, we're called to follow Christ, and the, and the following of Christ involves dying to self, denying self, and no longer falling, no longer following self. We talked about this earlier today in a live broadcast. That's what Christianity calls us to do: to deny self, die to self, and no longer follow self. And that not only does no one love it. No one really wants to do that. It's great to say, hey, I love Jesus and all the things he's going to do for me. But when he says, I need you to deny yourself, take up a cross and die to yourself and no longer follow self, that's where it becomes difficult. Many he has who are desirous of consolation, but few of tribulation. Many want consolation, but we don't want tribulation. We want to avoid tribulation. Many he finds who shares his table, but few his fasting. There's many who want to sit down at his table and feast with him, but not many want to fast with him. All desire to rejoice with him, few are willing to endure anything for him. We have no problem of him enduring things for us. We don't like the idea that we would endure anything for him. Many follow Jesus into the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. 
Many reverence his miracles. Few follow the shame of his cross. Many love Jesus so as long as no adversities befall them. Many praise and bless him so long as they receive any consolation from him. But if Jesus hide, hid himself or hide himself and leave them but just for a little while, they fall either into complaining or into dejection of mind. I think, and we, I've talked about this all the time, it's because it's just a kind of a major principle and philosophy I have. I think one of the major issues have always been that there's a Christianity that is sold. Hey, come to Jesus and boom, it's rejoicing, it's consolation, it's comfort, it's peace, it's feasting, it's, it's everything is wonderful, it's peace, it's, it's all this great stuff. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that are promised to us for coming to, to faith in Christ, but we sell it in such a way and we, it's almost like come to Jesus and get all of this. And then when, then all of a sudden someone comes to Jesus and then we look at them and go, what's your problem? Don't you know you're supposed to be dying to yourself, denying yourself and not following yourself? And you're like, wait, 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 that wasn't in the brochure. So I think it's true that a lot of people come to Jesus wanting all of this. And as soon as Jesus seems to hide himself, or as soon as we're not getting the things that the brochure promised, we become dejected, we become discouraged, we become despondent, we become frustrated, we become angry, and well, we, in many cases, we start saying, I don't know if this whole Christian thing is worth it, or I don't know if this Christianity thing is true, because this what well, isn't how it was explained to me. We sell something that sometimes does not match the reality. We all know that. So then we either fall into complaining or dejection of mind. Oh, there's more we could say here, but let's let's continue. Next paragraph. But they who love Jesus for the sake of Jesus and not for some special comfort of their own, bless him in all tribulation and anguish of heart, as well as in the highest comfort. Loving Jesus. For the sake of Jesus. Loving Jesus for the sake of Jesus. Now, I promise we're going to finish the whole thing, right? Why do I do that? Why? Why? Why do, I, why do I think that I can finish things when I know that you know? See, as soon as I said that, many of you are like, whatever. You already rolled your eyes and you already said there's no way he's going to finish it. Now, that should make me mad because you don't believe in me and you don't trust me. But it also may prove that you know me better than I do. But, man, that line, that line just really kind of just jumped off the page. And just slap me in the face like three times. All right. I'm going to apply. I'm going to, I'm going to use this to discuss two things. All right. We, we talked earlier today. And, and a lot of times all of the podcasts kind of connect. Sometimes you'll see a theme emerge. Sometimes that happens. 
But we talked earlier today, we, we kind of used the curriculum for the Bible study exercise for this week, if, for those who missed it. And, and we talked about this idea that for some people, what, what, folk, their, they, what really influences their thinking is the idea of freedom and personal rights. Where the biblical worldview, what should really influence our thinking is responsibility and sacrifice. And we talked about that as a Christian, we should so love others that we realize we have a responsibility to them, which may require us to sacrifice our freedom and our personal rights. And we we don't think that way. But if we truly love people, if we truly love people, we see that we have a responsibility to them and that we should seek their good over our good. That if we truly love someone, we should seek their good over our good, right? Now, that that had a profound impact of me talking about it today, all right? Um, <laughs> someone just says, it's not that we don't believe or trust you, we just know you, okay? That, well, Twyla could, because she's known me almost her entire life. So she could she could definitely say that. I think everyone else just doesn't trust me. They just don't trust me, okay? I'll give Twyla the credit of knowing me, okay? All right, here we go. So I want to read this again. All right, so take that concept we talked about earlier today, if, if, if you heard it. If you didn't, I just kind of gave you a brief idea. But they who love Jesus for the sake of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. First, do you think you love Jesus for the sake of Jesus? You just love Jesus for the, you love Jesus because he is the eternal son of God. You love God because he is God. You love the Holy Spirit because he is the Holy Spirit. You love the Trinity, one God, three distinct persons, co-equal and co-eternal. You love them just because they are lovely, because of their holiness, because of, of, I mean, each each person of the Trinity, God, holy, merciful, gracious, that just because God is God, we love God just for the sake of them being him being God. We love each member of the Trinity just because of their their deity, just because of their holiness, just because of their attributes. Do we love them just as Thomas Akempis says, that, uh, but those who love Jesus for the sake of Jesus, do we love him just because of who he is? Now, someone just asked, is it even possible for us in our, our sinful nature to even do that? Well, obviously, there's no way for us to ever do this. There, there, there's no definitive way, all right? Clearly, we're always going to fall short. That's why our salvation cannot be dependent on this, obviously, all right? Salvation cannot be dependent on it, but we are obviously called to love him. We are to love God, right? With all our heart, mind, body, and soul. We're called to do it, yes. And clearly, if it were not, if we're not saved by an imputed righteousness, we would be lost. So yes, this is definitely in the law category. Therefore, we need the gospel. But I, I'm, 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 I want us to consider something. In, in every way that we fall short of loving God for just the sake of him being God, we will find ourselves at times in a very spiritually vulnerable place where we can become discouraged, we can become bitter, we can become dissatisfied, we can have discontentment, and we can start whining, complaining, and wanting to go back to Egypt. 
because God didn't do what we want. Because sometimes we don't really love Jesus. We love what Jesus does for us. Sometimes we don't really love God. We love what God does for us. So therefore, we don't love him. We love what he has done for us. And when we only love him for what he has done for us, then it becomes very, it's very, it's a very quick trip to loving him for what he has done to loving us for what we think he should be doing. And the minute he's no longer doing that, then we stop loving and then we become disgruntled, discouraged. And the next thing you know, we want to go back to Egypt like happened with Israel over and over and over. So we can never do this perfectly. Absolutely no way. We can never do it perfectly. But it's something we are called to strive for. Now, here's where I want to draw a a connection to this. Not only do we obviously never do it correctly with God, that's again why our salvation has to be by grace. The Bible says in in 1 Corinthians and other places that we are to seek the good of others above our own, right? That to love others is to seek their benefit and their good over our own self-interest. I wonder how much of our love for others is self-serving. I wonder how much of our love for others is loving them based off what they can do for us. And just think in both cases, if I love Jesus for what I think he should be doing and what he is doing, the minute it goes wrong, then I stop loving and I stop, I start walking, right? I start, I stop love. I love until, well, because I'm loving, I'm not loving Jesus, I'm loving what he's doing for me. And the minute I feel that's not happening for me, then I stop loving and I start walking, right? Because there's nothing to love. Because I'm loving not Jesus, I'm loving what Jesus does for me. So the minute I feel like he's not doing that for me, then I start walking, right? I start walking away and I stop loving because, well, technically I wasn't really loving him in the first place. I was loving what he does for me. In other words, this is a this is it makes us very vulnerably spiritually. We will never do it perfectly, all right? So I don't want anyone to think I'm saying, you need to do this. And if you don't do this, you're not saved. No, this is what we should strive to do. But in the very same way, and I know this is not Tim, Thomas Akimpis's focus here, but we do the same thing with people. See, our sinfulness, this is very important. This is the essence of our depravity. The essence of our depravity is that we love others simply as a disguise for loving ourselves. See, biblically, we're called to love God and love others. We're to love God above ourselves and we're to love we are we are to love God above ourselves and we're to love others above ourselves. But our depravity has come up with a great idea. Our depravity is really clever, right? Our depravity is more subtle than all the beasts of the field. Our depravity is so subtle. So this is what we do. We say, oh, I love God. But really, it's a disguise for simply loving ourselves. We use God as a disguise for loving ourselves because we love God, not because of who he is. We love God for what he has done for me. 
So in reality, it's not that we really truly love God. Now, it's great that he loves us because without his love for us and and without his sovereign action towards us, we would never be saved because we would never love him the correct way. We would never do the right thing. That's why we've got to be saved based off a sovereign work of God. We have no part of it because anything we have to do with our salvation, we would be lost in 5.2 seconds, okay? Forget 5.2 seconds, 1.2 seconds. But I want you to see this, that in your depravity, Typically, love for others is a disguise for loving yourself. You, But it's hard to see. You're like, no, 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 no. I really love them. I really love them. I really love them. So many times, I'm not saying in every situation, and I'm not saying in every moment, but over and over, your love for others is really no, it's just a disguise. The, the, in some cases, the more you love others is the more it really demonstrates how much you love yourself. That's messed up. That's really messed up. But it's just true. Like we can deny it all day. I love because I get. I love because it provides. I love because I benefit from it. It's hard to love when you're not receiving anything in return. Now, I know if we if we go from a psychological, especially a human psychological perspective, they would say what I'm kind of promoting is somewhat damaging because you can't love others if they don't love. I understand I'm looking at it from a biblical perspective, right? We are to look at look out for others. We're, I mean, look, look. I'll just give you the, the greatest example of this. The Bible says, "Love your enemy." How is that humanly? Again, that goes again. That's why again that immediately condemns me. Just that one command, "Love your enemy." That's why I clearly know that I could never be saved based on anything I do because I can't love my enemy. Never can I truly love my enemy. But to love my enemy would be to do what? I'm loving someone and I'm not getting anything back. I'm not getting anything back in any way. I'm just getting, I'm suffering at their hands. I'm being persecuted. I'm being bullied. I'm being lied about. I'm being gossiped. It's, I'm, I'm called to do that, which clearly demonstrates just that one command demonstrates that I could never be saved based off what I do. And that's why you can't say, well, the way you know you're saved is you love others. Well, if, if that's the case, you're going to prove that you're not saved in, in, again, seconds because do you love your enemy? Now, what we typically do is so minimize what it means to love your enemy that then it's somewhat doable, but that's only because we minimize it so much. That's the test. When you're loving someone, you don't get anything back. That's difficult. That's difficult. That, <laughs> I don't even have words for that. And uh, Thomas Akempis puts it this way, but they who love Jesus for the sake of Jesus and not for some special comfort of their own, bless him in all tribulation and anguish of heart, as well as in the highest comfort. Now, that is hard enough to even comprehend doing that towards God. God, but it's it. You definitely see why. Like that's that's somewhat theoretical, right? 
okay, I've got to love Jesus for who Jesus is. That's very, that's theoretical, theological. It's very, it's hard to put our hands around it, right? It's, it's like, okay, I think I understand. But when it comes to people, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see, man, I love them, but do I love, do I truly love them or do I love what they do for me? Now, I know what I'm going to say is going to sound insane, all right? So you got to stay with me here, right? But, but, but I have to mention it because, because this is my own like little devotional time. So I've got, to, I've got to ask myself this question. You're just listening in. Now, some of you are going to be able to go, no, 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 that's psychologically damaging. You're saying the wrong thing. I understand, I understand, I understand, I understand, I understand. But I have to ask myself this, all right? I became a Christian. When I lived in my home where things were not good, things were not good, okay? That would be an understatement. It's easy to love a parent when they put their arm around you and say, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I love so much about you. You're wonderful. You're great. Here, I'm going to provide this for, for you. I'm going to provide this for you. I'm going to provide this for you. I'm going to provide a sense of security. I'm going to provide your needs. I'm going to provide a sense of, 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 of you know, comfort and, and all the things that a parent is supposed to provide for a child. That's what, It's one thing to love them and say, I love my parents because of all these things, right? It's not so easy when they don't put their arm around you. They hit you. Love your enemy. It's easy to love when they comfort. Is it easy to love when they torture, neglect. How does one love your enemy? If I, if I can figure out how to love Jesus for Jesus' sake, and it, it, should be, it should be somewhat easy to love him because, well, perfect, holy, and righteous. But God calls us to even love our enemy. Therefore, I have to love for the sake of what? I have to love my enemy because they're created in the image of God, right? They're an image bearer of God, even though it's marred by sin and it do, you don't always see that. Have to love them for the fact that they have an eternal soul. Have to love God. Like this, this, and we're always going to fall short of it. I, you've got to hear what I'm saying. I understand that. But we're called to do it. Like the command to love God doesn't go away. Yes, it's law. That's why I need gospel, but I'm still called for, to do it. I'm called to love my enemy, even though I'm going to fall short. I'm still called to do so. I'm, I'm, to, I'm called, even Paul tells the, uh, the people at the church of Corinth, hey, the problem, one of the problems in this church is you need love. And he describes a biblical love in 1 Corinthians 13. But he also tells them, hey, you've got to seek the, the, 
the good of others above yourself. You have to be willing to sacrifice your rights, your liberty, and your privileges for the good of someone else. How do you do that? You've got to somehow have a love that is not a disguise for loving yourself because loving yourself is what we all do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I, I was a Christian. I can't say I love my parents. Just going to be honest. Now, I know counseling would say, wait, 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 wait. You got to, you, you know, if you, you they, they would give me a different way of thinking about it. I understand. Let's see where, where Thomas Akempis takes this. But they who love Jesus for the sake of Jesus and not for some special comfort of their own, bless him in all tribulation and anguish of heart as well as in the highest comfort. See, if you can truly love Jesus for the sake of Jesus, you will love him even in the time of the great tribulation and anguish of heart because you're not loving him for what he does. You love him for who he is. If I can love someone because they're created in the image of God, they have an eternal soul, then I will love them even if they bring in my life tribulation and anguish of heart. Now, I will never get there, always going to fall short. But it's the challenge of the Christian perspective. He goes on to say, yea, although he should never give them comfort, they would ever praise him. In other words, if God never gave you any comfort, he gave you nothing. If you loved him for who he is, you would love him even if there was no comfort given. None. Zero. They would ever praise him, notwithstanding and wish to always give thanks. Oh, how powerful is the pure love of Jesus, which is mixed with no self-interest or self-love. I, I think what I'm saying is consistent with what's being taught here in this paragraph. I don't want you, I don't want you to think, oh, he just, he's just using the book. No, I think I'm staying consistent here. Can you imagine if you had a love, a pure love of Jesus, which is not mixed with any self-interest or self-love? Can you imagine if we loved others with no self-interest or self-love? Are not all those to be called hirelings? who are ever seeking consolations, do they show themselves to be rather lovers of themselves than of Christ, who are always thinking of their own advantage and profit? We're called to be lovers of Christ, and sometimes all we're thinking about is our own advantage and our own profit. That's why I get very frustrated with ministries who seem to be more worried about, hey, hey, I need you so that you can give me money. I need you so that you can give me popularity. I need you so that you can give me fame. And I and every day I have to ask myself, when I turn on a microphone and I try to minister to people, am I truly ministering to them? Because I don't want to ever, and, and if I ever have, and I know at, some, at different points in my life, it probably has been 100% accurate that I ministered not out of love, but ministered out of what I could get from it. And that was any time I've ever done that. And if I've ever done it, even to anyone currently listening, I've, I ask your forgiveness because that is wrong. 
I am to minister to you because I should love you for who you are, not what you can or can't do for me. And I've fallen short. Every church has fallen short of that. Every pastor has fallen short of that. Every ministry has fallen short of that. Where shall one be found who is willing to serve God for naught? Where shall, where shall you find someone who's willing to serve God for, for naught? Rarely is anyone found so spiritual as to be stripped of all things. For who shall find one who is indeed poor in spirit and stripped of every created thing? Her price is far above rubies. Can you find someone who can be stripped of everything? No comfort, nothing, no blessing, absolutely nothing, and still love and serve God. Now, clearly, it's never going to truly happen because right here inside of me and inside of you is a sinful nature. If any, if a man would give all his substance, yet it is nothing. And if he should practice great repentance, still it is little. And if he should attain all knowledge, still he is afar off. And if he should have great virtue and fervent devotion, yet there is much wanting to him, especially one thing, which is for him most chiefly necessary. What is that? The forsaking all, he forsake himself and go forth wholly from himself. In other words, we can have, I can have all the theological knowledge. I can do all of these things. I can supposedly be virtuous. I can be all of these things. But if I don't reach the point that I forsake all, that I forsake myself and I go forth wholly from myself, then I'm a million miles away where I'm supposed to be spiritually. I have never gone probably 15 minutes of forsaking all, forsaking myself, and going wholly from myself. And most of the cases where I am called to love others is nothing more than a disguise for loving myself. Where I'm called to love God, in most cases, it's nothing more than a disguise for loving myself, which would constantly demonstrate, woe is me, I am undone, and apart from God's grace, well, I'm going to spend an eternity in hell because that's what I deserve. Just this one area should break you and show you our, well, our need for the gospel. Our need, look, our only hope is Christ. He loved us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for his enemies. And just think about it. He loved me. What is he going to get from me? Not much. Well, let me take that back. Nothing, right? That's what he's going to get. What? So the forsaking of all, he forsake himself and go forth wholly from himself and retain nothing of self-love. Man, if I could make it three minutes with retaining nothing of self-love, that would be, I don't even know what that would feel like. It probably, if I went three, three, three seconds without self-love, I'd probably fall over and die because I wouldn't even know what, what is this feeling? What is this feeling? I don't know what this feeling is. And when he has done all that he knows ought to be done, let him think that he has done nothing. Yeah. Let him not, let him not weigh that much, which might be much, much esteemed, but let him pronounce himself to be in truth an unprofitable servant. 
When you shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants. That's the way we should always, we should always realize that even if we do good things, we're still unprofitable servants. We would, because we just, it would be, a, because there would be no self-love, no self-exaltation, no self-promotion, no self-anything. Then may, then, may, then may he be truly poor and naked in spirit and say with the psalmist, I am desolate and afflicted. Yet no man richer than he, no man more powerful, no, no man more free, for he is able to leave himself and all things and set himself in the lowest place. In other words, you, you, if you can reach this level, there, no one can be richer than you, no one can be more powerful, no one can be more free because you're able to leave yourself. You're able to leave all things and set yourself in the lowest place and be completely content. In fact, not even be aware of it. You would be truly free from self. And that concludes the chapter. I did it. I doubled down. I did it. I don't know what to say other than wow. Wow. I think I can honestly say from a biblical perspective I don't know if I've ever loved anyone Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. That's pretty much my life. I made a lot of noise. I make lots of sounds. And although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. I've made a lot of sounds. I've done a lot of preaching and teaching. I've tried to gain as much knowledge as I could. I don't know if I've ever had truly that much faith. I don't, you know, I don't, I, I have I have a lot of questions and doubts and struggles, so I can't, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But when it's all said and done, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I'm nothing. Charity or love suffers long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth, bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never Faileth. 
I don't think I, I've never loved God, even anywhere close to anything that would be biblically called love. Thank God he's loved me. And that while we, I was yet a sinner, he died for me because without that, I would be not, I would not be saved. He calls me to love others, he calls me to love my enemies. I've never, I don't think I've ever loved anyone because self-love has always been present. So I've never truly loved God and I've never tr- truly loved another person. Ever. That's kind of discouraging. Do you feel the weight of guilt? I do. Do you feel the weight of sin? Do you feel the weight of our fraudulent love? I do. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. In spite of our fraudulent love, there is the pure love of God given to us in Jesus Christ and him laying down his life to die for us unworthy sinners. That is pure love. And you are a recipient of that love. And you are a recipient recipient of his forgiveness and his mercy by grace, through faith. I feel crushed, but I should rest in the peace of knowing what God has done for me in a pure way in a way that demonstrates true love. And I hope that I can one day try to emulate and have that same kind of love for others that he has has for me. To love the cross means you take that which calls you to deny yourself, You die to yourself, and you leave yourself. You can give me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I do appreciate very much those who are listening tonight. Is that self-serving? Probably so. I wish it wasn't. I wish I could say that I, I've always ministered to the people listening, hopefully in the, in the right way, but I probably can't. But I am grateful, and hopefully something in this, it, it definitely took a kind of a darker turn, but hopefully something in this will prove to be beneficial. You can let me know, newsif at yahoo.com. Even if you don't know, it, let me know. That's perfectly okay. Uh, Just, I hope, well, God knows whatever God wants to do with it, I'll leave it there. All right. Thanks for listening. And um, hopefully you'll find some conviction, but some great comfort in these words. Everyone have a great, great night and hopefully a wonderful Lord's Day tomorrow. God bless.